Hebrews 9, verses 11 to 28. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves, together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with blood, with the blood, both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered into heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Hey, do keep those conversations going after our gathering together. Grab a cup of coffee, grab something to eat and keep uh, chatting with one another. Greet one another. As we begin, let's just track through the flow of these few verses this morning. So in chapter 9, verse 6 of Hebrews, the author makes the point that there is so much repetition in the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament because there is so much sin. The priest has to constantly work to keep up with it all. One more day, one more animal, one more sacrifice, and on it goes. Nothing is able to quite forgive and clean people for both the past sins and their future sins once for all. And then in verse 11, Jesus comes along as a high priest. Of all the good things, it says, that are now already here. What are those good things that are already here? Well, in 914, it's the guarantee of a perfected conscience before a perfect God through a once-for-all sacrifice. No more repetition. And how does Jesus as a priest do this? Well, he enters the OG temple, the one the earthly temple was modeled on, taking a sacrifice into God's inner heavenly room. And then using a lesser to greater argument, the author makes the point that while a bull could purify a person externally, 9.13, make them look forgiven before God, Jesus takes himself deeper through the Spirit He offers himself to God. The blood Jesus has is better than an animal's blood because he's the perfect son of God, 9 verse 12. The place is better. He's not going to a tent, a temple or a building, but into the realm and space where God himself lives. And because of the perfect nature of Jesus, that his blood cleans our conscience from dead works, 9.14. So Jesus goes deeper than an animal and the blood of the animal and the life of an animal could ever do. And that process is called atonement in the Bible. It means being made at one with, at one moment. And because we're reconciled to God now, it affects and changes how we behave and what we do. This is the flow of the passage. To say it another way, we serve God from the atonement, not for our sins to be atoned for, 9.14. means the comfort in your life and the hope for our life is found in the cross of Jesus in his death for our sins. Then in the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, 9.24 says, he enters to heaven to intercede for us before God. That is, he rose to life and his blood speaks ongoingly before God. His intercession is our ongoing point of contact with the comfort and hope from his cross. To say it another way, in the words of Stephen Charnock, who wrote about this in the 17th century, and it's just a brilliant quote, by shedding of his blood he makes expiation, By presenting his blood, he makes intercession. In the one, he prepares the remedy. In the other, he applies it. And that's the role of Jesus as a priest. He's the sacrifice and he intercedes for us. And in the Old Testament, there were two separate bodies doing it. A man and a cow or a lamb. The priest intercedes, the animal dies. Jesus assumes both. But it's not that Jesus offers his body over and over again many times in some ongoing suffering. 9.25 says, no, don't think that way. One life, one death. And because he lives... 
he now keeps appearing before God, appealing to his blood, reminding God, if you like, of his already done sacrifice, 926. Hear this. Never forget that every day, every night, every moment of your life, Jesus stands before God, pointing to his wounds and his blood, saying to God, See Luke, see my blood, let that speak for him and to you God. Forgiveness in me for him, give him my life. And then as Jesus comes to be the sacrifice, one day he'll come again to be our saviour, 9.28. And until Jesus does come back, you and me can have this wonderful assurance that Jesus' body and blood is on offer to God for all our sins every moment of the day. Which means we get busy now serving our God, influencing people to Jesus. All because we have a better basis for being accepted and forgiven. Jesus' work, a better voice speaking to us before God, Jesus' blood And a better way of living in service to our God instead of trying to serve to get identity and meaning. We'll unpack this today with three points that I want to draw your attention to. The first one is we'll see the sacrifice that we don't think we need, the future we don't realize we have, and the service we can now do. And that's a lot. I mean, we just don't talk about... Um, priests, animal blood, covenants, atonement over coffee, over dinner. Maybe you do. If you do, wonderful. But generally not. At the pub Friday night, you will not hear conversations of that. So to help us understand it, let me tell you about something much more Australian that you may understand, and that's rum. Yes, rum. So in Sydney, Natasha and I did a bespoke rum tour. We went to a small distillery, and we spent two hours being taken through how it works, learning how it's made, the history of rum in Australia. Did you know that the only military coup in Australia was over rum? Yes, it's true. We learnt how it's mixed up and served today. We tried some at the end. Having gone through all the history, the process, learning about where it came from, when we tasted this molasses liquid at the end, we had meaning, context and appreciation for it. We'd never tasted rum before. Think of the learning before the tasting is the plumbing. And once we understood the plumbing, it helped us sing about the poetry, the end result, except we didn't sing about the taste of rum. We didn't like it. But we could appreciate it. We could understand it because we knew the plumbing, how it all fit together behind the scenes, how it worked. Therefore, when we got to taste it at the end, the poetry was all the more sweeter. The concept of knowing about how something works helps us in other parts of life too. You appreciate it more when you know it. And what Hebrews is doing in chapters 5 to 10 particularly is showing us the plumbing of the Old Testament and how it applies to Jesus. His death, his intercession. When you know the plumbing, you appreciate the glorious poetry of what Jesus has done even more. And today, I want to look at the plumbing. And at the end, I hope you can sing more of the poetry of Jesus as well. That's what Hebrews 9 is about. So first of all, the sacrifice that we don't think we need. At this time of year, I'm sure you have work and family functions. And one of the questions you may ask or ask someone else is, what do I wear? You want to dress appropriately, right? Sometimes, and I recall with Natasha, we're just about to go out, we look the part, I look lovely in my blue suit, and then something happens. And suddenly the inside of me doesn't match the outside of me. I look nice on the outside, but I feel black on the inside. Ever felt that way? 
You wear your best suit, but you struggle with the guilt of being an underperforming parent or you have conflict with your spouse or you're anxious over a conversation that you have to have later that day and you look really, really nice, but you feel really, really bad and anxious and you're a duck. You know, you look great on the top, but your feet underneath are peddling like this just because of what's happening. And often we translate that perception and that way of thinking into our relationship with God. Amos in the Old Testament talks about God's priests looking fancy on the outside but motivated by greed on the inside. Ezekiel says God's leaders are like a pile of dead bones. Jesus says the religious ones are like a clean cup on the outside but filthy dirty on the inside. He said we all struggle with this inward outward problem. And that's what Jesus entered into to address. And that's why Jesus goes for our inner life and he goes there with his blood. Look at verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls, the ashes of a heifer, sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. This is like sunscreen. It protected the outside of the person just for a limited time. As 10.4 says, sorry, 9.4. 10.4? It's impossible for the bulls Blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. I wrote that wrong. You see it there. So with a lesser to greater point, the author moves us to see the blood of bulls is lesser, the blood of Jesus is greater. How much more will the blood of Christ cleanse us from acts that lead to death in our conscience so we may serve the living God? And suddenly we see why Jesus is the better sacrifice. The great words, how much more, take us into the realm of where we need to be addressed. It means Jesus takes his body and blood to a superior location. He goes to the place where all the earthly things are modelled on. Because he can go there into God's space and presence, he's enough. No more blood sacrifices. That's what makes Christianity unique. One historian observed that in the early days when Christianity spread, blood sacrifices ceased to be offered by the believers. Why? Because cultures and people know we need something to put right what's wrong. And a priest and an offering does that. Now a priest is someone who pronounces blessing or cursing, has a loud voice about what's right and wrong, and all cultures have priests. We have them today. We have voices in our culture telling us how to live, what's acceptable, what's right, what's wrong, what's good. Many priests from different parts of our world telling us their own good news story and how we should live and believe. What's right and what's wrong? And Jesus comes along, not offering us an idea, but he offers us his life. He comes as a priest telling us the good news story of God and what he's offering to us is better, not the voice of an opinion, but the voice of his blood and his body. So in verse 21, the blood represents the life for another. You think about how blood works, right? We need blood pumping through our bodies to live. And to be animated and have life before God, we need to be clean from sin and have new life in us. And Jesus' blood does that. Which is why his sacrifice could be spoken of as an eternal redemption in 9 verse 12. Which is why the death of Jesus on the cross is central to how God relates to people. Which means Jesus is the sacrifice you didn't realize you needed. His blood speaks to God for you. And here's why this is so wonderful. Jesus has a greater commitment to your salvation than you do. Do you get that? Jesus has a greater commitment to salvation than we do. His ongoing intercession shows the depth of his love and devotion to us and it shows his commitment to the holiness of God 
Jesus is committed to maintaining our position before God. And that's why he's a sacrifice you don't think you need. And it also means he's giving us a future we don't realize we have. Now, Jesus is appealing before God, but he won't do this forever. I mean, yes, his sacrifice is once for a time, but at the right time, he'll return to bring salvation for those waiting. Listen to 27 and 28. Just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Jesus is the better sacrifice because no other offering can return and rule and reign after it's been offered, right? That's why the language of a will is spoken of in 15 to 20. Jesus' death brings about a new covenant. That's the way God and people relate to each other. And just as a will is a legal document about what to be done at the death of someone, 9.16, when Jesus died, this covenant came into effect. And part of this agreement between God and man is that Jesus will return to judge evil, sin and death. And because Jesus goes to a place better than anything else, because Jesus comes to save and clean us where the sin and evil live in us, which is our conscience, it means that's the place that's going to be judged. But because of his life and offering, he can take that away. And that results in salvation, a salvation from the judgment of God. And the question is, what sort of judgment do you want to be made about you? What will you look to? Your actions, your your heritage, your conscience, your good deeds. And at this point in Hebrews, I think you can see the problem of appealing to myself. After all, Jesus was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, sins plural, all of them. And that's how you have a right judgment made about you. So Jesus faced judgment for us. And now he's appealing and appearing before God until the time in which he says, yep, I'm going to return to bring salvation to everyone that's waiting for me in that hope. From bearing sins to bringing salvation. Is that your future? Is that your hope? Is that why you get up in the morning and face the day? In all the mess and stress of life, Jesus offers us a better future. Better than you do you is what Jesus has done for you and is doing for you. He cleans your conscience. He intercedes before God every moment of every day and gives you future salvation. Yes, he's a sacrifice we don't think we need. He gives us a future that you don't realize you have. And until he comes, there's one more thing to see. And it's the service that you and me can do. So that, back in 14, we may serve the living God. It's an incredible idea the author's getting across, you see. The concept of serving God hasn't gone away. It's just been expounded and clarified. So that, all Jesus has done, all Jesus is doing, is not for you to work for your salvation or forgiveness. The Christian faith is not trust Jesus and do good things for God's favour to hope you're good enough to get in. No. We're saved from all that evil and sin in us and we're saved from our good works too. You're saved from being good and that's a good thing. You see, Jesus brings us his life and salvation to us while we're stuck doing dead works. Good, bad, it doesn't matter. They're dead. There's no life of Jesus in them. So the author's point is not that forgiveness is the end of our life, it's the means of our new life. The end goal of being restored to God is energized to serve him for his glory. It means all you do from the smallest moment in your life, like brushing your teeth, 
to Monday morning work meetings, raising kids, where you buy coffee, how you vote, how you form views and opinions, all of that's to make God look glorious and wonderful as he is. And that's the work we're interested in. Your actions have a different meaning and significance. They're part of God's purpose for the universe. And we offer ourselves to God with service and joy. Imagine it like this. And if you like cricket, you'll get this. And if you don't, you should get it, but you'll be a bit... Yeah, it doesn't. You'll get it. It's Boxing Day. It's a big deal in the cricket world, I think. Good. And you're selected to bat. The opening bat. Pressure. And it's the change rooms. Ten minutes, half an hour before the game. And they walk in and say, Luke, you're ready. You're going to bat now for Australia. Is, that, is Australia? Wherever it plays. And they can't find you. So they call you. And it rings out. And they call you again and you answer. And it's noisy. And they say, Luke, you got the opening bat. Where are you? And you say, oh, but Kmart. It's Boxing Day sales. <laughs> what a disgrace. I mean, you've been picked for the Australian team. And you're getting 50% off on your massage gun because you've got sore legs. Like, come on. <laughs> you've been handpicked to play apart. What a privilege. And that's what Jesus saves us to. To serve him for the common good. So that more and more people can be influenced towards Jesus. Awaiting his return of that future hope. Not serving because... Not serving for the atonement. Serving from, as I said. You see, in life... Your lists get bigger, your lawn gets longer, the job changes, clothes need more washing, things break down. But hear this, because Jesus is the better sacrifice, as your life is marked with unfinished bits and pieces, may you be reminded today, with confidence, there's one thing in life, in a life of unfinished bits and pieces and broken promises, that is finished and will give you hope. Jesus appealing before God for you for his sacrifice and blood. He finished something you desperately need, and can't do. And it's done. A better future than retirement here. A better voice than hearing the culture's voice around you or your inner one is his blood. So that you now serve that God awaiting his return. And that, that scale and magnitude of Hebrews 9 was never available in the Old Testament to a Jew under the law. But it is offered to you in Jesus Here's where I'll finish. Hebrews 10 verse 1 says this. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices, endlessly year after year make perfect those drawn near to worship. It's a shadow. Why not turn from the shadow to the real thing? To the life Jesus is offering you. Hebrews 9 shows us the plumbing so that we can sing the poetry of what Jesus has done even more beautifully when we understand it. So let's do that. Band, come on up. Let's sing to our living God what he has done in Jesus. And hey, over coffee today, share just what you've learned about Jesus. We covered a lot of ground, but I'm sure there's something God's impressed upon your heart. Why not share that with someone?